You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning, everyone. As Tim said, my name's Tom. I'm one of the pastors here. And we've been going through a preaching series called After God's Heart. And the idea behind this series is that as we look through the book of First Samuel, which is in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, we're going to see that God is really interested in what's going on on the inside more than the outward appearance. Basically, uh, outward appearance, religious appearance, whatever it might be, is not interesting to God. What he's interested in is what's going on inside. And as we've been working through this story together, which is a long story, and we're going to be in this story for quite a number of uh, weeks and months to come, we're going to see again and again this theme that God is after the heart. He doesn't look to the outward appearance, he looks to the heart, what's going on on the inside. And we've seen this story of a lady called Hannah who couldn't have a child. And in those uh, days, that was a big uh, pain for her, more, more so than it would be for today even, um, because it was a shame thing. People looked down on her because she couldn't have children. There was people who were mocking her for it. And uh, she prayed, she called out to God. It says in the scriptures that she poured out her heart to God. And God heard her cry. He gave her a child. And then we saw last time together when Morris preached that uh, she then poured out her heart in praise to God in response to the miracle that he had done. So we're picking up the story today in chapter 2 of uh, 1 Samuel. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay, because the verses will come up on the screens around the room as well. And we're going to be looking at leaders after God's heart. Leaders after God's heart. And we're going to look at a couple of verses together from chapter 2. Then Elkanah, this is Elkanah was Hannah's husband. If you remember, we looked at him first time, uh, first week in this series. He was a bit of a a rubbish husband, to be honest. Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy, that's Samuel, that's the child that he and Hannah had. Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Now, I'm going to pause it there, because there's a whole uh, text here we could read through together, but I'm going to summarize it as we go along, and we're going to pull out uh, things from it that God would have for us today. So we're looking at leaders after God's heart, and we have met Eli already, this character. He was the high priest in Israel. He was the highest ranking uh, religious official. People would come to him and say, what is God's will for my life? And he would oversee all of the other priests. And then once a year on the Day of Atonement, which was the most important religious festival in the uh, Jewish calendar, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would make a sacrifice of an animal for himself and for the people who had, everyone had done wrong. And, and in that year, they wanted to make a sacrifice to atone for their sins, to make their sins uh, get wiped away. And he would take the blood from that sacrifice and go in behind the veil. This was a really special place in the tabernacle, which was like their meeting place. And uh, the, only once a year would he go in behind this veil and he would pour uh, out the blood of this sacrifice on the mercy seat, which was this throne, I guess. that God, It was a, a mirror of what God's throne in heaven is like. And that would, that would atone, that would make right the sins of the people from that year just gone by. That was a special day in their calendar, a day of atonement. So uh, that's what the high priest did. And this guy, Eli, he's training Samuel. So this, this young boy, he's a miracle child. He's been given to uh, Samuel to train up in the priesthood. We see that he sees his family from time to time. And he's, we see that he's ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And then we see a clear contrast between this kid, Samuel, and then Eli's sons, who are called Hophni and Phineas. Now, Hophni and Phineas were leaders that had gone wild. 
These were also priests, and they were making a mess of their job. They were going through the motions. They were putting on a religious front, and yet they were just going through the motions. There wasn't really anything about them that showed that they knew God. There wasn't anything about them that showed that they were walking with God. Their hearts weren't after God's heart. They were going through the motions. It's possible to come to church Sunday after Sunday, or go to life group week after week, and spend time with other Christians and put on a religious front, but not really know God. It's possible to do that. Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 7 that there's going to be some people who, when they come before him in, in judgment, they'll say to him, Jesus, I did all of these things. I did all of these great things. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. I never knew you. The most important thing about your life is not how much money you have in the bank. It's not about how many things you've achieved in life or how many great places you've seen, how many countries you've traveled to, how many friends you have. The most important thing in your life, as we see here, is that you know God. That's the most important thing. These guys were making a mess of their lives. Not only were they going through the motions and uh, putting on a religious front when they didn't really know God, but they were taking, we see in the passage here, they were taking the offerings that people had brought to the temple and they were eating them for themselves. So people had brought these sacrifices to the temple for, uh, to offer to God as an act of worship and they were taking the best parts for themselves. And it says in verse 17, they were treating the offering of the Lord with contempt. God loves worship. He loves worship. He loves being worshipped. That might sound like God's got a big ego. But God realizes that we all worship something. It's going to be him or something else. We all worship something. We all place something as highest worth in our lives. <clears throat> and God realizes that the very best thing for you and I is that we worship him. Because he's the one who gives life. He's the one who really gives life to the full. And these guys were treating the worship of God with contempt. They were taking these sacrifices and eating them for themselves. And what's more, in verse 22, we see that they were sleeping with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. They were basically sleeping with the women on the welcome team. Okay? They, they, and it says women, plural here. They were sleeping with multiple ladies. They were sleeping around. These guys, Hophni and Phineas, seducing women, sleeping around. They all the while, were putting on this religious front. Okay, so in, in public, they were the religious guys. They knew what they were doing. And in secret, they were making a mess of their lives and other people's lives. And it says they were described as worthless men or scoundrels. But the biggest problem for them was not that they were worthless men or scoundrels, but it was that they did not know God. That was the biggest problem for them, is that they didn't know God. They didn't walk with God. That's the thing that gives your life the greatest worth, is that you know God. God is interested in this. Are we walking with him? Are we after his heart? Do we know him? It's because when we know him and walk with him, that things start to change in our lives. It's not the other way around that we try and uh, make ourselves good enough to be able to walk with God and know God. We've heard this morning, haven't we, in the baptism uh, videos that we can't, we can't kind of clean ourselves up and get right with God. It's never that way around. It's always that God, he cleans us up. He puts our feet on a rock, and it's then that we start to learn to walk with him and to put things right in our lives. God wants us to be after his heart. And he's deadly serious about leaders being after his heart. He really wants leaders that are after his heart. The reason that he wants leaders like that is that water always flows downhill. Water always flows downhill. 
God loves leadership. He has set leadership in his church. We see that in the scriptures, leaders are to be appointed. They're called elders or pastors. They're to be men who carry the church forward with wisdom and courage. He loves leadership. He doesn't want people sitting around scratching their heads wondering what are we going to do and where are we going to go. And nor, is, nor do we see democracy. People just vote on what's uh, the best way forward. God loves leadership. The Bible is full of stories of leaders taking the people of God forward into amazing adventures. It's also full of stories of leaders getting it wrong and leading the people into error. And this is why God is so passionate that leaders are after his heart. That They don't just put on a front. They don't just uh, look religious and look the part. But that actually, they'd be after his heart. You take leadership away from churches, it can go very wrong. It can lead to uh, all kinds of different errors setting in and different uh, crazy stuff going on. Leadership greatly affects the people being led. Sometimes in ways that aren't particularly obvious at first, but leaders always affect the people being led. And the issue with the leadership in Israel at this time was that the leaders weren't really after God's heart. As we see here with Hophni and Phinehas, they were in it for their own gain, They were just doing it to look good and get stuff from people. Eli, he was a good man. He was a good high priest. But his sons, they were running riot. He had neglected some things in his own family. Not only were worshippers' sacrifices being despised, not only were women being used, but in verse 24, we see that these evil dealings were being spread abroad. That meant that God's uh, nation, his special people that he had chosen, Israel, they were getting this reputation for being wild, basically, and doing whatever they fancied. God's reputation was at stake. God's glory was at stake here. And that's why God wants leaders after his heart. Character is of the utmost important thing to God when it comes to leadership. And we see in the New Testament a bunch of places where it describes what leaders of churches should look like what elders or pastors should look like. And of the 45 qualifications that you'll see in places like 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, in Titus chapter 2, in 1 Peter chapter 5, you see of of the 45 qualifications listed, 32 are about character. 32 of those qualifications are about character. How the leader leads his own family, how he treats his wife, how he treats his children, how he handles his alcohol, all these kinds of things. 35 of the four, uh, 32 of the 45 are about character. That means 13 are about skill. God values character over competence. He, he values how we live our lives over how we perform in front of the crowds. That is what God is after. Eli wasn't the first leader to fail in leading his family well. Moses almost got killed by God. God said, no, you've got to sort out some stuff in your own backyard before you can lead these people. God's serious about what's going on in the background to a person's life. God cares more about the parts of our lives that the crowds don't see than about the parts of our lives that are on display for all to see. Bill Hybels writes this, character is who you are when no one's looking. Character is who you are when no one's looking. And we see that Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's sons, were again and again contrasted in this, in this passage that we read together. In verse 21, it says, The young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. It says in verse 25, The young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor 
with the Lord and also with man. That's something that's described of Jesus as well, that he grew in stature and favor before God and man. Samuel was ministering before the Lord. He lived his life before God. He knew that God was the God who sees. He lived his life in the presence of God. Sometimes when we talk about the presence of God, what we're meaning is his tangible presence, his felt presence, his special presence. Maybe uh, some of you this morning just knew God's special, close presence with you. But here it's talking about God's omnipresence, that he is present everywhere, that we cannot escape his presence, we cannot escape his view. And Samuel was aware that he was never alone. He was aware that God was always looking on. That God was the God who sees. That's one of the names for God in the Old Testament, that God is the God who sees. And Samuel knew that, and it led to him leading a life that was worthy of God. That he, had, he would make wise choices in light of the fact that he knew God was seeing all. He's present. He's present when we're in our beds. He's present when we get up in the morning. He's present as we're on our way to work. He's present when we're at work. He's present when we get home. He's present at all times. He sees and he knows. And Samuel, in light of that, he grew in stature and favor before God. Knowing that we walk before the God who sees leads us to make wise choices. Sometimes we think, well, God can't see through this roof. or God can't see through this duvet. Or God can't see what I'm up to on my phone. But no, God sees all. And what happens when we take this to heart is that we change. We change. And not only do we change, but our community changes as well. Phil Moore, who's written a series of books that go deeper into the Bible called Straight to the Heart of... um, He's written Straight to the Heart of 1 Samuel. He says this, Changed leaders change churches, which change communities, which in turn change nations. Water always flows downhill. And those who are not after God's heart like Hophni and Phinehas, they show no regard for God and they live lives where they take what is not theirs. They take what is not rightfully theirs. They take these sacrifices that people have bought to be presented as an offering to God. They've taken what they want from those and they've taken women that are not their wives. They've spent their lives taking what is not theirs. When you know God, when you know him as your father when you know his omnipresence that he sees all, you can trust him that he will provide for you. You can trust him that he will provide for you all that you need because he's a God who's able to provide. So God is passionate about leaders who are after his heart, who grow in the presence of the Lord. And I really really want to exhort you this morning to step up into leadership. I've talked a little bit about elders or pastors. Those words are used interchangeably in the, in, in the Bible. But I want to talk to you about leadership that is required in all areas of our church life. We need you to step up. We need you to step up into leadership. You might have been only coming for a few weeks or months. We need you to step up into leadership. We need you to take a hold of God like Samuel did and grow in the presence of the Lord and make wise choices And as you do that, as you're following him, others will follow you. We need many, many, many men and women to grow in leadership in this church. We really do. We had Mike Betts with us last week. He was uh, preaching about internal authority and external authority. And how 
True biblical authority is internal authority. It's not about wearing a badge that says manager. It's not about putting on a suit to say, look, I'm really powerful and important. It's actually about what's going on internally. That as we walk with God and as we spend time with him in his presence, as we make wise choices, that others will follow us. Others will sense that internal authority and will follow us. And we really do need many, many more leaders in this church. Mike texted us after he was with us last week. Mike leads our movement of churches. And he said, I really sense that Hope Church is about to explode. And I think he means that in the good sense. I don't think we need to duck and run for cover, that actually that we're going to explode. And we're seeing that to an extent already, that many, many more people are coming to this church. But if this church is going to explode, it's going to need all of us to play our part. It's going to need all of us to play our part from the youngest to the oldest here, and from those of us who are new but are sensing this is the place where I'm going to put my roots down, to those of us who have been around for decades, we're all going to need to play our part. We were looking at our, our um, database this week, just wanting to make sure that we knew who was still in the church and not, and we, we've got well over 300 adults who are regularly amongst us in this church. But we believe that only about 40% are serving in some way. And we really do need that to increase. We need people to hold their hands up and say, I want to get involved. How can I serve? How can I bless this church? Can I get involved within the children's work and uh, teach children about Jesus? Can I get involved in the youth work and help get alongside young men and women as they are uh, going through probably the most difficult part of their uh, Christian walk? Can I get involved with serving tea and coffee or welcoming people? Can I Can I be hospitable and have people in my home and look after those that are on the edges? We need people to say that right across this church. And I I really do mean you. If you're sat here this morning and you know Jesus, I really do mean you. Please don't wait to be hounded down (laughs) by some of my colleagues who say, you know, hey, can you come and get involved with the team? No, please do come to us and say, how can I get involved? How can I get stuck in? It might be that in the coming months you say, I want to lead a life group. We've rolled out our life groups this week, 23, 24 groups uh, going on in the, in the week. Loads of different groups uh, to be part of. We're going to need 50, 60, 70 groups in the coming years. We've really kind of run out of space even this time around. There's a few groups with a little bit of uh, space in them. But really, we're going to need many more people to say, I'm going to lead a group. I'm going to welcome people. I'm going to follow after Jesus in my own life, and then other people can follow me. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to make sure I'm living my life in the presence of God and others will follow as you do that. So we really do need people to step up and to seek to have the characteristics that are described as elders should have. Not everyone will be elders, but all of these characteristics that I've mentioned, that we read about in those passages that I've mentioned, we should each seek to have. We should each seek to aspire to have godly character because God is more interested in character than he is about gifting. God is serious about your growth. We had uh, a couple of uh, great um, scriptures read out in the first service about God wanting to finish the work in us that he started. God is about a work in our lives. It works in progress. I'm definitely a work in progress. I think if we look at ourselves honestly, we all know that we're works in progress. God wants to finish that work. He wants to mature us. But this does take some time. And we're a microwave generation, and we get frustrated with slow broadband. And you know, we want uh, 4G, 5G, 6G. We want the quickest internet data we can possibly get, because we're impatient. And I'm always drawn in by those adverts on TV where it says, get one of these 
electronic packs and put it on your stomach. And as you sit there and drink beer and eat crisps, you will have the abs of a Hollywood star. But the reality is they don't work. And they seem very appealing to us because they think, wow, quick fix, I can look like a movie star and still eat whatever I want to eat. And we realize that doesn't work. Because the maturity that God wants for us, just as with getting fit, what, what it requires is secret place obedience. It requires secret place discipline. It requires wise choices in the secret place. And that's how we mature. And that's how, I believe, someone gets fit. Although I wouldn't be able to say with much authority on that. That it takes decisions. It takes decisions that people don't see. It takes making choices that might make you unpopular. It takes making choices that might be painful at first, but they're ultimately for our good and for real life. That is what maturity requires, and God has that for each one of us who know him. And as we go about allowing God to work on our character, as we humble ourselves before him, the the Bible says, as we humble ourselves before him, at the right time, he will lift us up. At the right time, he will lift us up. And that might sound like a promotion, but promotion kind of language isn't very isn't very uh, helpful sometimes because we might think, well, if I, you know, if I humble myself before God and if I work on my character, then he'll promote me and I'll, I'll be important and I'll be the boss and I'll, uh, I'll be able to lord it over people. No, that's not what biblical leadership is all about. The leadership that Jesus teaches isn't worldly. It's an example of servanthood. It's an example of laying down our lives for the good of others. Jesus laid down his life for the world. That's the leadership that he demonstrates. It's not about uh, being the boss. It's not about being in charge of people. It's about laying down our lives for the joy of others so that other people would know God, that other people would know the joy that is to be found in him. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed even, he wrapped a towel around his waist and he knelt down and he washed his disciples' feet. He scrubbed their feet, walking around all day in dusty, muddy towns and cities. And he washed their feet. Now, if I said right now, who wants to be on the washing feet rotor? One week in four, that's all you have to do. I don't think there'd be many volunteers. But Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, he knelt down and washed the feet of his disciples. That's the kind of leadership that he wants his people to display. That's what he says to them. This is, how you're to, this is how you're to lead. This is what leadership in the kingdom looks like. It looks like serving others. It looks like getting your hands dirty. It looks like humbling ourselves. That's what Jesus has in mind for us. And ultimately, he shows his leadership by going to the cross. Ultimately, he shows his leadership that serves others. It's not self-serving. He shows his leadership that serves others by going to the cross, by taking our shame and our sin upon himself so that you and I could know God, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be cleaned up and that we could come into the presence of this holy creator God, that we don't need now to have animal sacrifices or earthly high priests that make the way for us. Jesus on the cross displays leadership that is the leadership we're to follow. It's cross-shaped leadership. That kind of leadership is to flow downhill into his church. 
That's what he wants for leaders in his church. Let me, let me implore you. Let me, if I could, grab you by the shoulders and say, come on, lead. Come on, lead. Lead yourself. Lead others. Encourage others. Serve others. Get to your knees, and, as it were, to wash people's feet. You don't have to do physical washing of feet. I don't know how many people would really want that. But to serve others and say, how can I serve you? Get low. That's what leadership in the kingdom is about. It's getting low. It's, getting, it's serving others. We've each gone our own way. We've each pursued things that are not in God's heart. We are like Hophni and Phineas in this story before we come to know Jesus. We're after things for our own gain. We're after things that will serve us. Whether it be through, and it works its way in several different ways in our lives. It might be through lying. We might lie to try and paint a better picture of ourselves so that maybe we get the glory. Maybe we get people thinking well of us. It might be in, in lust, that we, we're lusting after members of the opposite sex or uh, sleeping around, whatever it might be, because we, we, we somehow want, we want people to love us and, and, and give us um, affirmation or whatever it might be. Well, the reality is, Jesus, unlike these corrupt priests, unlike Hophni and Phineas, unlike us, he didn't live for his own gain. He emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, and he was obedient to God, even to the point of death. And on the cross, there was a great exchange where we actually got what Jesus deserved, and Jesus got what we deserved. We deserve separation from God. We deserve punishment for our wrongdoing. And on the cross, Jesus took that, and we got his righteousness in exchange. Righteousness just means right standing before God. Because of Jesus' obedience, because of his perfect life that he lived, he was tempted in every way like we are. Think about the ways in which you're tempted. Jesus was tempted in that way. And yet he was without sin, without wrongdoing, without wrong thought, without wrong deed, without wrong word. And his right standing before God that he deserved, we get it now through faith in him. We get right standing before God. We can know him. We can know him as our father. We can know him perfectly because of what Jesus has done for us. And on the cross, he took what we deserve, which was punishment and separation from God. And as we've heard already from some of these baptism videos, which were fantastic, we know that it didn't remain like that. Jesus didn't remain in the grave. He burst forth into life on the third day, and he is now risen and reigning in glory with God the Father. He is in control. He's doing things in our lives. He's making us new. He's changing us day by day. He became the high priest for us that is promised at the end of this passage. God is, is so angry with Eli and with his sons. Eli was a good man, but God sees that Eli has neglected something in raising his sons, which, which tells us a lot about how parenting is such a, a, a responsibility. And he says about Hophni and Phinehas that they were going to die on the same day, and that is eventually fulfilled. But then he says this, God promises this. After seeing that the priesthood had failed, he says this, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. This is talking about Jesus, who would always do what was in God's heart and God's mind, who would have a sure house, would no longer need a a tent like the tabernacle or a temple, but actually he would have a house that lasted forever. 
And it says that he would go in and out before God's anointed, God's people forever. That means he would, he would make a way for us again and again and again and again and again through his one act on the cross. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things. Do you understand that? So the, 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 the tabernacle, that holy of holies, that veil, the temple in time, that was a copy of the heavenly reality. Jesus has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of these things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place year after year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Jesus didn't have to go into a man-made temple. No, he went into the very presence of God in heaven on our behalf, having made a sacrifice for sins once and for all time. The sacrifice was himself. He, the high priest, sacrificed himself. And now he enters into God's presence in heaven on our behalf and makes a way for us to know God. He makes a way for our sin and our shame to be cleaned up and for us to have perfect relationship with him. He offers one sacrifice. That one sacrifice is sufficient to cover every sin. We heard this morning, didn't we, from Jude's testimony that she thought, I would never, ever be able to be saved. You might be here this morning thinking, I, you don't know what I've done, Tom. You don't know what I've said or thought or done. Listen, the Bible says that your sin can be covered by the blood of Jesus. Your sin can be covered by his blood. There's nothing too great for his sacrifice to cover. Nothing too great. Nothing too small, nothing too great. Jesus Christ is able to make a way for you. Place your faith in him this morning. Why didn't you say, like one of these ladies did this morning, I just raised my hand in worship and said, Jesus, I'm here. Come and meet me. Why don't you do that this morning? It doesn't have to be an eloquent prayer. It doesn't have to be something fancy. God's not impressed, as we've heard already. He's not impressed with outward appearance, fancy words. Just say, God, I'm here. I need forgiveness. I need to be cleaned up. Come and change my life. Say that to him this morning. He's made a way for us. We're going to, in a moment, take communion. That means we're going to take the bread and the juice to remember what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took some bread it might have looked like this tortilla. I have no idea. We don't know, so I'm going to get away with it. He took this bread and he said, This is my body broken for you. He said, Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup of wine. We've got juice this morning. We're just aware that some people here may, not, they may struggle with alcohol. And he took the cup of wine and he said, This is my blood which is poured out for you. It's my blood that is poured out for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. He says, as you, as you do this, you proclaim my death until I come again. You proclaim my death. And it is that 
we're to proclaim the death of Jesus. Because as we proclaim the death of Jesus, we realize it was never about us saving ourselves. It was never about us working our way into God's, uh, into God's good books, as it were. But it required the death of Jesus Christ for us to be forgiven. So we proclaim his death. We glory in it. We glory in it. We say, Jesus, thank you. And we glory in the fact that he's risen from the grave. We glory in the fact that he's no longer dead. It wasn't a defeat. This was actually part of God's plan. And we do it until he comes. We've read from that passage, haven't we, in Hebrews, that Jesus is going to come a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly are waiting for him. We stand together. Love just to pray for us. The band are going to join us and we're going to sing in response. Listen, when we start singing, you are very, very welcome to head to different stations around the room. There's four different stations around the room where there's bread and there's juice. We haven't got cups this morning, so you're going to have to dip your bread into the juice, but that's okay. We're remembering what Jesus has done for us. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, God is on my case. I feel I need to give my life to him. Do that as we sing. Come and get this bread and this juice for yourself. You don't have to wait for a certain amount of years before you can do this. It's not about being worthy of taking the, the juice and the bread. You can never be worthy of it. Thankfully, God has made a way. He's made us righteous in him. Let's pray, shall we? Thank you, Father, that you are here. Thank you that you have sent your son, Jesus, to be the great high priest. That where priests, year upon year, had to make a sacrifice for sin, you, Lord Jesus, you, Lord Jesus, once and for all time, gave yourself as a sacrifice. Once and for all time. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you are not only the great high priest, you are the sacrifice. Your blood has been spilt so that we could be clean. Thank you, Jesus. You took the punishment that our sins deserve. Thank you that you've risen from the dead. We live our lives for you. Lord, we want to be leaders. Lord, we want to be leaders who lead ourselves well in light of all that you've done for us, in light of the fact that you see all, nothing escapes your view. We want to lead ourselves well. We want to lead others well. We want to cause others to have joy in God. Lord, help us as we go from this place to be leaders. Help us to look out for the needs of others. Help us to demonstrate cross-shaped leadership. Will we pour out ourselves for the good of others, Lord? We wouldn't look to our own interests, but that we'd look to the interests of others, just as you did, Lord Jesus. We thank you. Thank you for your blood spilt for us. Thank you for your body broken for us. Thank you that you're about to work in our lives where you're maturing us and changing us. Thank you, Lord, that you're here. You're here for those that are new here. You're here for those that have been here for decades. You're still the great high priest. You're still the great high priest. You never change, Lord Jesus. Would you come and reveal your love to people now? You come and do that, Lord. Reveal your love to people now in this place. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.